Good morning. Good morning. Oh, okay. I so appreciate Pastor Johnson and um, the privilege to stand before you and present the Word of God. Um, it's always a challenge to stand before God's sheep. He thinks so much of them. Uh, and I, I want to I just remind you um, to appreciate your pastor. When God gives you a pastor, he has demonstrated his love to you. There are a lot of men who have the title pastor, but they don't have a pastor's heart. You have a pastor who has a pastor's heart, and you need to be thankful for that. Pray for him. And uh, try not to get on his nerves any more than you have to. <laughs> um, as I thought about this time, several things came to mind. And I thought maybe I would... Uh, talk with you about an uncommon God. Can you bow with me, please? Father in heaven, we desire to glorify you today. We desire that the saints of God to be, be edified. And Lord, as we attempt to uh, do honor to you who are worthy, we pray and ask that the Spirit of God would help us. That when it's all said and done, Lord, you'll be magnified in the eyes of your people. And it result in hearts that will be submitted to the will that is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Pastor Johnson, thank you again. I, I'd like to identify with uh, my wife, Glodine. Uh, if you'll stand, Glody. <laughs> she knows all about me and tells nothing. <laughs> I thank God for her. It's been a wonderful 47 years, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next 55. <laughs> all right. I also have uh, a biological daughter here, <laughs> Allegra. Uh, I remember when Allegra was born, she was the perfect child. She had no marks on her, not even a birthmark. And uh, God, <laughs> God started teaching us something, uh, gloating, and I just guarded her in every way. And uh, we had a pastor, and his family came by who were very close to us, and, and uh, one of their older children said, oh, let me ride the bicycle, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Allegra for a ride. She took her for a ride and dropped her. And so she got her birthmark at that point. <laughs> uh, and God was teaching us, do not glory in anyone except me. Um, we love her. She's our biological child here, but we have other children here. Um, the kind of children that God can only give you. We have adopted children. Where are they? Lynn and Carol. Yes, please stand. <laughs> When they visited Baraka Baptist Church where I used to pastor, and, uh, and I said, I have children here from California. Um, 
those who were suspicious of their pastor said, wow, what were you doing in California? (laughs) (laughs) But these are adopted children. They are our children by choice. We dearly love them. Thank you so much. Um, When we think about the uncommon God that we know, you know, God doesn't do anything common. He just, he does not commonize anything. He's an uncommon God in the way he does what he does. I, we were at uh, the beach the other day. I don't swim. But uh, we asked Lager to take us down to the beach. Glodine decided she wanted to put her feet in the water. She thought there was something miraculous about it or something, I guess. Uh, I stayed far away from the water. And, uh, <clears throat> but I'm amazed at the ocean that... With all of the ability of man, I've not met a man who can make water. Except you're old, you, you know, we say, well, i got to go make water, let me out of the room. But uh, we, we don't have the ability to create water. With all of our abilities, we can't. So the ocean is saying, in constancy, as it comes to shore, split splash, God is. The psalmist said, in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. I, I teach high school, ninth and tenth graders, and um, and they're always saying to me, Mr. Payne, um, how many languages do you speak? I said my native tongue, and then I speak, you know, the other language. And they said, What's the other language? I said, Did you hear? And of course, they did not hear because. Every believer speaks the language of silence. God says, be still and know that I am God. There's the language of still. The heavens do it all the time. The stars are saying, twinkle, twinkle. No, no, the stars are saying, God is. Uh, When we look at the phase of the moon, it tells us something about its creator. The sun in all its glory says something about its creator. It can be seen in any place in this earth. We have confidence because there's water in any place, in every place on this earth. We cannot look to the sky and not know that there's a creator. So every man is without excuse because we serve an uncommon God. He's uncommon in his creative work, but he's uncommon in the way he loves his bride. I don't know about you, but um, on a good day, I have a conversation with my wife in the evening, and she has in the past anyway. She says, uh, Larry, when, when did I become the apple of your eye? When, did I be, when, when was it when I was your, a constant thought in your mind? And uh, when did you determine that I was going to be the one? Those are good questions. I think we ought to ask that of God. So, if you are still amazed at what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, and when you think about him, you might ask those questions and wonder in your mind, just what, when did I become the apple of God's eye? When did I become someone that was always in his thoughts. I want to ask you to go with me this morning, if you open your scripture, 
to Job chapter 38, verse 7. Some think to be the oldest of the 66 books of written revelation. Where God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted with joy. Job, where were you? I believe this scripture informs the reader that before God created man in his image, God created angels to be witnesses to the one kind of creative work of God. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. An uncommon God planned before creation that he would have a bride. It's, it's something to contemplate because you need to ask yourself, what is the purpose of a bride? Why in the world would God come with this idea of a bride and a husband? Don't you think that's a fantastic thing? When I think about what God has done, I marvel at him. I said, God, you're an uncommon God to come up with a plan like this. God's an uncommon God who has an uncommon plan. And according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, that plan included you and I. And I'm going to read those verses. You may look at them. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predetermined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Marriage was God's idea. A wife was God's idea. I believe that when we look at the scripture, God unfolds to his people, his bride. This is when I was thinking about you. This is when I had you in mind. Before I even created, I'd already thought about you. Before I shaped and formed the earth, I had planned for you to be my bride. The church is not an afterthought of God. And I, hopefully, I wish to be able to say of each man here that your wife is not an afterthought of your husband, that you are in his forethoughts. But unfortunately, I can't say that. I, I, I failed in that manner. I, uh, I said to our church um, some years ago, about 11 years ago, I said, uh, I said, church, I need to confess something today. Uh, God just awakened me to the fact that up to now, I never loved my wife. And I'm a, she knows this because I told her, but I just recently began to love my wife. 
To which many of them said, well, what have you been doing all this time? <laughs> and I could tell them honestly, I've been doing what most men do all of this time. Thinking about myself. Thinking about my own pleasure, my own enjoyment, because I didn't know what love was. You know, we're slow to learn. I'm a slow learner. And God has saved me, and he still is saving me. God changed me, and he still is changing me. He is shaping me and forming me into the image of his own dear son. God says to us in John 17, 5, he exposed us to something that was going on between members of the Godhead. And I'm going to say some things that may sound as if I don't fear and reverence God, but please listen to what I'm saying in the context that I'm saying them. In John 17, 5, it tells us something that was going on between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, God, God, and God. Sounds like a good... Uh, attorney or lawyer corporation doesn't God God and God yeah well God God and God before creation was what were they doing they were bringing glory one to the other before God's wonderful work of creation the God of scripture was experiencing joy oneness total agreement Fellowship and love one for the other. So much so that God, God, and God agreed to glorify each the other with an act that only the Godhead could perform. God said, let's create someone who can enjoy what we are enjoying in this divine relationship. Let's create a man whom we will design with the ability to imitate one who is fully God and fully man who, is willing, who willingly leaves heaven and enters into earth, which he is Lord over. So God, God, and God said, let's make man in our own image. He'll have the ability to love. He will have the ability to appreciate the, the goodness and the grace of God. He will have the ability to be in total submission with God and to agree with him about what he has done. Let's make him in our image. And we'll make him Lord over all the earth. The persons of the Godhead did this because it pleased them. Now, excuse me for what I'm going to say here, because it may sound offensive. God didn't do it because he loved you so much. He did it because it pleased him. He did it for his own glory. He made you in his image so that you could do one thing, glorify him and not yourself. Amen? Amen. Uh, I'll help you with that. Okay. <laughs> Paul said God did this because it pleased him. Ephesians 1.5. God's plan was uncommon. Let's make someone like ourselves who can appreciate 
the joy, the glory, the fellowship that we are enjoying one with another. It was so good, God said, we need someone who can appreciate what's going on here. Only an uncommon God would do that. Of course, only an uncommon God would, according to Ephesians chapter 2, do what he did here. And you he made alive who were, what's that curse word? Dead <laughs> in trespasses and sins. My friends, don't you know God's not impressed with you and I? You do know that, true? He's absolutely not impressed with us. I mean, I really got up early this morning to look slick, and, and, and my daughter said, don't wear that. God's unimpressed with us, my friends. Um, God's unimpressed with dead, the dead. Jesus Christ said, I've come that you might have what? Life. And have it in abundance. He's not about the dead. As a matter of fact, Jesus said on one occasion, let the dead do something. Bury the, the dead. Just... In passing, let me say this to you. As long as you're living, enjoy living. As long as you're living, don't be concerned about dying. Don't plan to die. You will. (laughs) Your job is not to die. Your job is to live. The scripture says we were dead in trespasses and sins. I I, I had a brother who lived out here. I still have a brother who lives here. I had many family members who lived in this wonderful part of the country. My oldest brother lived here, and I remember when he passed, I came out for his funeral, and uh, just to see if I had the power, because I've seen guys on television knock people down and raise them up. I thought, I got to check if I So while he was laying there, and he's laying there, you know, stretched out there, and he looked like he was relaxing. I said, Norman, get up! (laughs) I couldn't move him. God says we were dead in trespasses and sin. It's not, he's not talking about this physical death here. We were spiritually dead. Something happened after creation. Remember, hear me in context here. Do not be offended by what I'm trying to explain. The scripture says that God created man on the sixth day. And he created man in his own image. And after he created him, God said, this is good. We don't know how long afterwards, but we do know that God made someone out of the man. And so, I, ladies, I, 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 I'm, I empathize with you going through the p- pains of childbirth. I really do. I don't know what that's like. But I don't think it's as big as you make it. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm really serious. Because Adam was pregnant first, you know. The scripture says God put him to sleep, took a bone out of him, 
Now think about that. I, I don't know how God, didn't say God did surgery, just said he took a bone. He might have just stretched it out. Who knows? Talking about birth pain. Uh, he, made, he made a woman, someone who was suitable for him, someone who could appreciate the ocean, the heaven's glory, and appreciate holding a man's hand. Can, can you imagine? See, Adam and Eve experienced everything in a, at a level which you and I cannot even imagine because they were what? Totally innocent. They were innocent. And remember I said they were, what's the word? Innocent. It did not say they were without sin. They were innocent. Little children are innocent. I have 12 grandchildren. And at one time, some of them were innocent. They're not innocent. All of them are not innocent now. They are accountable for what they do. But the little ones, little babies are innocent. You know what innocent means exactly. Someone tell me what innocent means. What does innocent mean? Please talk to me. Blameless. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. It's a little bit lower than that. Innocent simply means they're not worth a cent. They have no... They have no worth. Uh, let me explain to you why I'm saying that. Because Adam was created innocent. Eve was created innocent. They were without sin. They could appreciate, because they're made in God's image, they could appreciate the creation around them. But they had one problem that most of this world has today. They did not know their creator. They had head knowledge of him, but they did not have intimate knowledge of him. They were innocent. Until God said, they'll never enjoy the, the joy, the love, the fellowship, the glory, the oneness that we have among ourselves in the Godhead until they are put to the test. We're going to remove this issue of, of, of worthlessness. We're going to give them worth. We're going to give Adam a what? A test. So God informs him. He says, Adam, you can, you see all of this around, you can eat of all the fruit around it. You're free to enjoy that. But do not eat of this one tree. If you do, the day you eat thereof, you will, you will die. And this is, I believe, the first issue the Bible shows us of birth pangs. And so Eve has a conversation with the enemy of God, the highest of God's creation up to that point until God created someone in his image who could imitate him. You know, no angel can imitate God. No angel are we ever told in Scripture is loved by God, nor are we told that any angel can love God. They're not made in his image. We're never told that an angel can be redeemed by God. They're not made in his image. It doesn't fit God's purpose for his creating angels and his creating a man. And so Adam was created innocent. He wasn't worth a cent. Some of you ladies think that maybe about uh, anyway. 
But Adam had a problem here. He was not, he had no worth, no real value. Although he could appreciate what God had created. Unredeemed angels, since they can't be redeemed, holy angels appreciate what God has created, but they cannot, they don't have the worth of man because God says, I'll redeem man. I'll never, he's never says in scripture, I'll redeem an angel. He gave man worth by putting him to the test. When that test came, Adam looked at someone who was just like himself. You know, that's the whole purpose of marriage. You do understand that, right? Uh, God, the Bible says, the man is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the man, and is the head of the whole church. It, it's, it's the purpose of being the head is I have the responsibility of making someone like myself. That's, that's the difficult job of being a husband. That's why for 40 years, 30-some years, I could enjoy my wife and not understand that my job has never been just to enjoy her. My job was to be what she would want to become. I was to be about making her like myself. So young ladies who are looking forward to being married and losing your freedom, (laughs) young men who are looking for, oh, that beautiful wife, the one you just, oh, the Call stars and firecrackers go off in your head. Listen, if you're not ready to make her like you, if she shouldn't be like you and you're not what you ought to be, be careful of taking a wife. Because the scripture says Christ loved the church and he's about one thing. He's making her what? Just like himself. See, God's an uncommon God. He doesn't do things the way we would. I've often heard men say, you know, I wonder what Eve looked like. She had, most, had to have been the most beautiful woman that ever walked the earth. He, guys, you ever heard that? Oh, man, Eve had to be gorgeous because God created her. Well, I think Eve probably was four foot square <laughs> and two feet tall. <laughs> I really believe that. Maybe not those exact dimensions, but. I really believe that because God, I believe God was saying to Adam up front, listen, Eve is right because I created her, not because how she appears. But Adam got caught up in how she appeared. Now, listen, we know that because God told him, don't eat. And she said, Adam, I ate and look at me. I'm still all right. He said, yes, you are, honey. Oh, yes, you are. Give me. Yes, let me eat, too. And the moment he did, the Bible, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says they saw themselves as what? Naked. I thought, well, what were they wearing before that? What did Adam see before he ate that fruit? Hey, you know, gorillas go around naked. They sleep naked. They wake up naked. Horses do the same thing. Chickens do the same thing. I, I've never seen a chicken get dressed, have you? <laughs> I've never seen a dog put on his garments. They lay down, they get up, these animals are naked. All of creation, everything God had created up that point that was walking and moving was naked. Why? Now Adam sins and now he sees his wife as what? Naked. 
And that's what sin always does, doesn't it? Jesus said, the day you eat of this fruit, you will what? You will die. Death took hold immediately. I remember asking Dr. John Wickham, why did it take them so long to physically die? He said, because God made them so well. Remember, he said, everything he made was what? It was good. God made them so well, they just kept (laughs) moving along. But they were dead. You know, Hollywood doesn't do anything original. There's a television program, um, I think it's called Dead Men uh, Walking. Yeah. Adam says, I, I had that role first. I was a dead man walking for hundreds of years, but dead. You know, the scripture says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. What God has predetermined, my friends, it's predetermined. It will happen. We just celebrated Christmas because God made a promise a long time ago that his son would be born, would be born of a virgin. And you know what? He did exactly what he said. What God says is what he does. Adam, you eat of that fruit, you will die. But the wonder of it is, the uncommon thing about that is, he violated the known will of God. But God had predetermined. And Paul uncovers that in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, listen, God had predetermined before he ever created that he was going to save you. He was going to make you a part of his bride. An uncommon God has an uncommon plan, and he does uncommon things with sinful people. I, was, I need to ask you a question. How many of you have a best friend? Now, don't be shy. Hold up. Huh? Your best friend? Very good. Now, if you have the wrong answer, what I'm going to ask you next, keep your hand down. Uh, <laughs> is your best friend you? Is your best friend you? You see, not, I don't think any sensible man or any sensible woman would choose themselves as their best friend. I, 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 I thought about that. I said, Larry, you're, you're a pretty nice guy. Um, and so I, I, I meditate on it. I said, hey, if you really need a best friend, who would you choose? Who do you know better than yourself? At that point, things started getting shaky. I got to think about that. You know, every sin I ever sinned, guess who did it? Larry did. Every lie I ever told, Larry did it. Every, any violation I've ever violated, guess who did it? Oh, Larry did it. I'm not even Irish, but oh, Larry did it. Paul said, we have a need. We need to be newly created. The highest teacher in all of Israel, a man named Nicodemus, said, 
Lord, we know you're a great teacher. And Jesus said, listen, that's not your problem. This is what your need is. You need to be born again. We need to be newly created. I brag about my father. He was a, he was a giant of a man in, in my eyes. He was only like 5'7". And uh, hardworking, bald-headed, and deeply black. I thought, man, he's an amazing man. My brother and I were talking about it yesterday. We were just amazed at him. But you know something? When I was nine years old, my dad was a deacon in the church, and we were having a revival. That Monday, my mother took me down the road of Romans. Step by step, didn't he know it was called Romans Road? She didn't know that, but she just led me down that road. I came to know Jesus Christ. That Wednesday at that um, week of evangelistic meetings, we just called them revival meetings back then. Uh, and, and, and in those days, they would say, if, if you're saved, raise your hand. And so all the saved people would stand up. And then they said, if you're lost, uh, we got seats up in front for you. You're, you're, <laughs> We did. We had special seats for the lost because we were there for one reason, to see them come to Christ. And some would come forward and some wouldn't. And, uh, but that Wednesday night, I, as the um, preacher was compelling those to come to Christ, I got up out of my seat and I went forward and I made a public profession of the faith I'd come to know in Jesus Christ. And I remember sitting up front and my father came from, deacons were sitting on the side, uh, and uh, he came forward. He said, son, he said, I can do anything in the world. I'd do anything in the world for you. He said, but this is something you got to know for yourself. I can't do this for you. You must know Jesus Christ for yourself. He said, do you know him? I said, I do, Dad. He said, well, just stay where you are. Christian friend, knowing Christ is a personal thing. It's not a multitudinous thing. Listen, you have to know him for yourself. Dad can't do it for you. Mom can't do it for you. Your best grandma and your worst in-law can't do it for you. You have to do that for yourself. Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he becomes a new creation. All things are passing away. And all things are becoming new. You know how that works? Paul says in the epistle, he says, listen, if you're a slave, be a what? Be a good slave. That's God's assignment to you. If you are born in a poor family and you don't have many means, be a good poor person. Put on Jesus Christ. The goal is not to be a successful American. You need to be successful with Jesus Christ. Women. I have to be careful here. You know we're all jealous of you women, right? Every man's jealous of the woman. God made you beautiful. And... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> and you know I help the situation, but uh, he knows that you have influence. 
Do you know what God said of, to, of Adam? I'm going to make you someone suitable for you. I'm going to give you someone who can do what? Help you. A helper, he says. Do you know your wife is a helper? For 30 some years, I didn't realize. I thought, hey, I'm the guy who has to know everything. And she used to say this constantly to me. You don't. Oh, you heard that before, I take it. <laughs> God says, listen, you need, to, you need to listen. Because I trust you, I'm going to expose something here about myself as a pastor. There were people in the church, there were guys in the church who, they just gave me a hard way to go. Gave me a hard way to go. And it's true, they gave me a hard way to go. Now, I'm not making this up. They, they, they gave me a hard way. They were wrong in what they were doing. And what they were doing, they were wrong. But do, do you know nothing's accidental with God? I remember one particular gentleman said to me uh, before the deacons were in a meeting, and he said, He's a pastor. He said, you know what? If my, and he had his wife with him. He says, my wife wasn't here. I would kick your, I won't even say the rest of it. And the men said, wow. Pastor, what are you going to do about that? I said, nothing. Uh, pastors don't beat up on the sheep. It's a dangerous thing to do. God might take you out of here, you know. He loves his sheep. I said, nothing. I don't need to defend myself with that. And I, but inside I was raging, angry, bitter. And I feel like if, if I had the means, I might take him out of here right now. And so why am I saying this? Because this is the reason why. Um, that bothered me so, I, and it passes me. I share with older pastors. They said, well, you know, that's some of the things you go through, some of the things you go through. And I thought, that can't be that simple. There's more to this than, than, than what it appears. And I prayed about it, and I argued with God about it. You know, when God takes his time in answering you, it's because he knows what he's going to say is going to hurt you. So it took a while, but finally God spoke to me very clearly. He said, he said the reason you struggle with that man and the reason I have him there to, so to speak, rub some of the junk off of you is because guess what you're like? Guess what you are like? To which I said, no, God, that cannot be true. I wouldn't do the things he did. God says, that's what you are like. That's what you're like. And so God began to chip away some stuff that need to be chipped away to show me that, listen, this is how I love my sheep. The sheep stink. They're dumb. They drown if you leave them outside. They try to drink all the water. But I care for them. And I'm trying to make you a pastor so you will love your... It's not your church, Larry. It's mine. I bought it. I paid for it. And you have the privilege to what? To love my sheep. Oh, that hurt. Smacked me right in the mouth. So much so, I gained some sense. I said, 
Lord, what else have I been doing wrong? He said, quit lying and gloating saying you love her. And start, start loving her. I said, Lord, this is how you're trying to help me? He said, yes, this is how I'm trying to help you. I want you to love these people. I don't want you to fight them. I don't want you kicking and fussing and fuming. Because the people you are serving, Larry, the people you are leading, guess what? They are just like. I said, oh, no, cannot be. I'm better than that. He said, well, did you forget Romans 3.23? You're in the all. All have sinned. Well, Lord, I know I sin, but my sin is righteous sin. <laughs> really. Now, God has a purpose for doing what he does because he's an uncommon God. But you see, he's shaping you and I to become just like whom? Him. Look with me in 1 John 3 because I'm going over time here. I'm going to cut this short. 1 John 3, that's back there behind Corinthians somewhere, right? First John 3, <clears throat> listen what John says in his letter to the saints. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. How you looking? How you looking? When you look in the mirror, who do you see? Still looking at yourself? Or do you see Jesus? See, an uncommon God had an uncommon plan. And he makes an uncommon people. We don't have to concern ourselves with our appearances. Now, I'm not saying that, I, that you, you shouldn't take care of your physical body, your temple. You want to hang around a little while longer and breathe some more, you better do that. But your worth and your value is not in your physical appearance and your physical makeup, nor is it in your property or in your bank account. You have value because you're made in the image of God. And he's shaping you to look like one who pleased him. Romans 5.12 says, by one man sin entered into what? The world. By one man. But by one other man, righteousness was brought into the world. You and I have to be right with God. He will not accept us just as we are. He has to, my friends, can I get your help here? I talked to them ahead of time, okay, Pastor. I'm not going to abuse them. 
I need both of you. Okay. Now, you all see this. What is this? No, no, what is it in particular? It's a bill. Not a William, it's a bill. I want you to know something, please don't go away. God will never. <laughs> I'm not that tight, no, really. <laughs> you, you know, you listen, I want you to know God will never, what is that? He'll never bill you, but he'll do what? He'll change you. You can have a seat. You can keep that. <laughs> See, we, we have a bill with God. We violated his righteousness. And God, uh, listen to me. God never gets old. I have students ask me, well, listen, if a person goes to hell and they're there for a certain amount of time, won't God, because he's good and he shows grace and he shows mercy, won't he release them after a little while? Listen, my friend, do you know what it means to be an unbeliever? Being an unbeliever means, God, I know what you have to say about who you are. And I said, ain't so. I know what you have to say about who, you, who Jesus Christ is, but I say, it ain't so. And I know what you have to say about what I am and what my need is, but I say, it ain't so. In other words, an unbeliever says, God, you are a liar. Now, listen to what God has to say about that. He says in John chapter 8, he says, listen, you are of your father, the devil. And the works of your father, you will do. He was a what from the beginning? A liar. Every unbeliever says, God, you are a liar. Although the believer, every unbeliever knows what God says is what? It's true. But we call him a liar. And God says, because I'm an uncommon God, you know what I do with people like you? I save unbelievers. Because I have the ability not just to build them. I have the right to build you, but I also have the love and mercy and grace that, that goes on between, that's wonderful fellowship between my Father, the Holy Spirit, and myself to the degree that I want you to be enjoying what we enjoy for all of eternity. You can have that if you accept what he offers. Paul says he does that for unsaved, dead, walking men and women. And then finally, Ephesians chapter 5. As I quit boring you with this, Ephesians 5, listen to what Paul says to the believers at Ephesus. Verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has done what? Loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know what was sweet-smelling about anything offered to God? It was the fat. It was the fat. It was a sweet-smelling aroma. Then the scripture says in verse 8, For you were once, what? Darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of 
light. How do we do this? Listen, do you know what it's like being a black man in America? No, you don't if you're not. Nor do I know what it's like being a white man or white woman in America. It's a grievous thing trying to be a Christian in America. Did you know that? My father told us, he said, son, he said, I'm going to tell you something. You live in America. He said, you better be careful around a white man. Our eyes got big. He told all of us, nine of us kids, he told us that. What's the problem, Dad? He said, because a white man doesn't know God is a dangerous man. He said, but look, you need to also understand, you better be very careful around a black man. Dad, you're black. He said, that has nothing to do with anything, son. If a man doesn't know God, he's a dangerous man. Guess what God has told us as believers to do? Listen, because I have built a hedge around you. That's what, the, that's what Satan said to to God, he said, you put a hedge around Job, you know, Lord, can't nobody get to him. God says, hey, you ought to try my servant Job. I, I'll, I'll expose him to you because, see, Job loves me. And Christian friend, if you and I love the Lord, we live in a dangerous world. This world is not our friend. It's not a friendship to those who walk in grace. It's the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous place to be, but we have him on our side. And our crisis is not with those on the outside. I'll guarantee you this, not to try to bring problems here, Pastor. (laughs) But listen, the problems of Grace Hills, any problems you ever will experience will never be on the outside. It happens right here. Among those who name the name of Christ. You remember what Paul said? He said, uh, pray for me. He said, because... Uh, that, the, that the gospel is not hindered by what I'm facing. My problems are not, that's not the issue. It's not about you. Christians have loved ones who die. Christians have loved ones who get cancer. Christians have loved ones who get old. Christians have people who have kidney failure. All the, anything else anyone in this world has, we experience the same thing. The difference is, is how we respond. Do I respond to it the way Christ would have me respond? By trusting him and living for him in spite of, or do I put on on, on, on my black garments and say, listen, woe is me. See, we're uncommon people. We're not, we're not of this world. Jesus said, Father, I pray for them, not for the world, but you will keep them in this world. I have kept them. I gave them your word. And they have kept your word. That's the mark of the believer. We bow to the word of God. It's not about our personhood. It's about him. We don't have to wear a hood. We can go around barefaced because we live and walk after Christ. You know, the Bible says, esteem others more highly than yourself. Do you know what's difficult about being a pastor? A pastor, I'm not any different than anyone else. I'm just... I'm just trying to love you and instruct you in the ways to, so you'll know how to love Christ and so you know how to be a testimony when you walk out of this place. It's difficult because God calls men to serve him 
who are equally who were who were as equally as dead as you were. But God's given them the assignment to feed the sheep, to lead the sheep. And so you're asking, why in the world did you choose that text? Ephesians 5.21, because the Bible says submitting to one another in the fear of whom? Of God. See, the key to successful living is learning how to do what your joints teach you every day. Now, you see that wrist is stiff. I can do my hand, but it's all frozen in there. This arm, was, bottom of my arm was torn from this elbow. I had to quit hunting after that because I could shoot anybody except the rabbit. Uh, I did a foolish thing. God has spoken to me about bowing to him and go and prepare for ministry. And I said something that you only get to do once with God. I said no. And while I was saying no, I said to my wife, I said, we can't afford, I had a good paying job. I said, I can't give up this job. And I got you and kids, I, I got to take care of you. God doesn't expect me to do that. I know he's not asking me to do that. And my wife said, you know what you said. You need to go and do what God says. I said, no, what I need is some recreation. And she kindly said, yeah, you can have your recreation. I said, I need a motorcycle. So we went to the Honda motorcycle dealership, and I bought the largest bike they had, which was a Goldwing 1000 at that time. Never ridden a bike in my life. Lager <laughs> <laughs> can't help it. See, <laughs> I, she took me there. I got the bike. And I said to the guy who put it together, he just put it together right there. And he said, uh, I said, first thing I said to him, I said, take me for a ride up the, up the highway. I don't want know how this feels. He looked at me like, Are you, you, have you ever ridden a bike? I said, no. <laughs> he took me for a ride. Came back, he said, here are the keys. <laughs> and I shall never forget, my wife was in the car ahead of me, and I'm... <clears throat> Getting back home. Now, how foolish can you be? But see, when you say no to God, you're a fool anyway. Do you understand that? And uh, God let me enjoy it for one month. I worked in a coal mine in those days. And uh, I was working overtime on a Wednesday night. And I was going from one pit to the other. I don't want to get into details of what that means. But on my way to the other pit, in my pickup truck, I went into a crevice. And it felt like someone was in there beating me with their fist. I came out of there. I was all bent and tore up. And my truck, I tore the wheel up on my truck. I couldn't drive to work the next day. I had to go to an emergency room to have them check me out. <clears throat> so I missed the next day of work. And that Friday, I got on my bike. I'm going to go back to work. And on my way up Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. 
for the oddest reason, it seemed like all the cars in the world were on that street, lined the street and parked on each side. I had nowhere to go. And I saw this old man coming toward me. I said, and I just said in my head, that guy's going to hit me. <laughs> and, uh, and he did. I thought, I said, man, what do you do when somebody's going, what are you supposed to do? Lay the bike down and all the things guys told me, I'm, I'm laying the bike. So God said, I can get you there anyway. So me and the bike slid into the back of his vehicle. He kept going, hit and run. Uh, when I woke up, a policeman was on my chest trying to wake me up. And uh, so my wife was in a nearby town visiting my sister. They called her and said, Larry's been hit on a bike, on his bike, and he's in the hospital. So my sister brought she and the children over, brought her to the hospital. And I was in there all wrapped up and tore my ribs up and everything else. So I saw my wife. I said, no. I put on the show here. Uh. <laughs> I stopped moaning, groaning, and going on. And uh, but she was uh, more welcome with Jesus than I was. So she said, "Yep, yeah, well, you'll be okay." And uh, she went away. A preacher friend of mine was called and said, "Larry Payne's in the hospital," and he rushed over to see me. And he said, uh, he, "This is literally true." He came in. He said. He said, man, I heard what happened. Uh, he said, you going to be all right? I said, man, I don't know. I can hardly breathe. I'm, he said, when are you going to do what God told you to do? And then he left. Didn't pray. Said no prayer for me. He said, when are you going to do what God told you to do? This literally happened overnight. The emergency surgery that they did, it all fell apart. The next morning, the doctor said, what in the world happened to you? I said, I was in the bed. He said, everything we did is falling apart. I had to go back to surgery, do it all over again. I was laying in the bed. A Christian man and his son-in-law were also in that room, and they were talking about the goodness and the grace of God. And I hated to hear what they had to say. I just took the cover and put it over my head. And God gave me such pain. I said, Lord, wherever, whenever, however you want me to go, I will go. Don't say no to God. Some of you may be in here today, and you're Christian by title. But nothing's ever changed in your life. Don't continue saying no to God because today is the day of salvation. Don't walk away and not know him today. It's his plan. It's his bride. He saves sinners. People you wouldn't choose. See, I, I would never choose someone who is a pedophile to be my best friend. But God says, I got no problem with that. See, you're a sinner just like he or she is. And I change people like that. I can make them just like myself. If you're here and you don't know Christ, he's willing to change you. If you're willing to receive him, God bless you.